Welcome to the Better Boundaries podcast brought to you by Utahns for a Responsive Government. The goal of this podcast is to keep you informed during the 2021 Utah redistricting process. Today, for our second episode, I'm pleased to have Rex Facer, chair of Utah's first ever independent redistricting commission. Commissioner Facer, welcome to our show. Well, thank you, Katie. It's a pleasure to be with you. Um, so, Rex, as chair, you were appointed by Governor Cox. Can you tell us about your background and why you said yes? Sure. It's an interesting question in, in many ways. Uh, as a political outsider, uh, in a lot of ways, I've taught uh, public administration for 20 years at BYU. Um, and uh, as, as such, I've been very interested in public service. And I've taught my students about the value of public service. And so when you get a call from the governor, uh, my immediate uh, inclination is, is to want to say yes. And uh, so they told me a little bit about uh, what uh, the task was. And uh, I thought, well, this is a great opportunity to serve. And so I said, let's, let's try it. Let's, let's give it a go. And uh, without knowing a whole lot of the details, uh, we said yes. And then we found out about census delays and all the other chaos that uh, then unfolded. Well, that's a good point. So the, the census is very delayed this year. It usually comes out in April, but instead you received the data mid-August. Um, so maybe tell our listeners briefly the impact that that has had. Sure. Yeah. Well, there have been a, there's been some positives of the Census Bureau data being delayed. Now, the negative is that normally, as you said, we'd have it not in April, and we would have had several months to be working with it prior to you know, having to submit maps. But because we had to wait until September, or, or nearly September, to, to start drawing maps, uh, that pushed our you know, time frame you know, much smaller. And so that means that instead of working on drawing maps for two or three hours a day, commissioners have been working on drawing maps for six to ten hours a day. Uh, and uh, that really pushes uh, that map drawing process into a much more constrained time. Now, I think we're still getting quality maps, and I think uh, we're still excited about the input that we're going to get from, from the public, but it does make it a much more constrained time period. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's interesting to note that the whole country is facing that same challenge. So that doesn't make it easier, but sometimes it's nice to know that you're not alone. Well, and not only are we not alone, but some people's deadlines were not moved. So they've had to be submitting maps now. Uh, and uh, so we at least have a couple of months to be drawing maps, getting input from the public, and you know, changing those maps to you know, meet the public's you know, you know, perspectives. So you mentioned that there's other commissioners and you have a team of seven. So tell us a little bit about who your fellow commissioners are and uh, what the working culture is. Sure. Yeah, first of all, uh, we've got a great working relationship among the commissioners. We, we get along very well. Uh, and uh, the commission, it, as it was set up, uh, three of the members were appointed by Republican you know, leadership in the legislature. That's Commissioner Rob Bishop, Commissioner Lyle Hilliard, and then Commissioner Jeff Baker. Now, the thing that's unique about Jeff Baker is twofold. One, he's the, an independent on the commission. So we have two independents, one from the Republican side and one from the Democratic side. But Commissioner Baker also is a GIS expert, which has been very helpful for us in understanding some of the technical issues of map drawing and just managing the data and, and managing the maps. That's been very helpful. On the Democratic side, we have uh, uh, Commissioner Christine Durham, uh, former Chief Justice, the Utah Supreme Court. We have uh, Commissioner Karen Hale and then uh, Judge uh, Commissioner uh, Judge, uh, Bill Thorne, uh, former appellate judge uh, here in Utah. 
And so it, it really is great. We're in mapping teams right now, so we've got them divided up. So we don't have any you know, Republicans working with Republicans. And it's great to see that you know, positive working culture that we have between the commissioners. They just they get along well. They're willing to work together. And we're just excited to be able to try and help Utah have a better product. And having sat in on some of the meetings myself and watched some of the map drawing, it's really great to see the different skill sets come to be. You have someone like Rob Bishop who knows the whole state of Utah like the back of his hand. So he can say, "Uh oh, no, that's open space. There's no people there. Um, And then you have someone like Jeff Baker who brings this really technical, like, let's overlay this. Can you, you know, show me this data? And so it really is great to see that rapport among the commissioners. Yeah, I, I've been very grateful to, to have such you know, in, engaged you know, you know, colleagues uh, who, who not only are committed to this process, but committed to doing it well. So this past weekend was a really big one um, for the independent commission. You were on the road in Monticello and Heber City. So just tell us about what you were doing in those two different locations. Sure. We had our first road trip. Uh, exciting times. You know, riding down you know, together with you know, some of the commissioners. Uh, we got to carpool with some of us, which was you know kind of fun to, to spend hours and hours in, in the car together. Uh, but more importantly, we got a chance to interact with the public. And all along, we've been interested and we've been welcome to hearing public comments. We have a, a comment uh, email address, uircomments at utah.gov. And so comments are not new to us, but engaging kind of face-to-face with the public is, is an important step of this process and to give people a chance to start reacting to maps. So we have a series of maps that we have available on our website uh, that people can look, ones that have been drafted by our mapping teams. And they can start to give us public input. And uh, when we were down in Monticello, for example, we were much more aware of some of the challenges that we had in drawing the districts because you either have to go north uh, out of San Juan County or you have to go west. And that allowed us to to push on those questions to try and get the public's perspective. What makes most sense to you? Uh, what can we do to you know, make sure that you feel like you're being represented, which was one of the concerns that the public, especially down uh, in southeastern Utah, had, is they want to make sure they feel represented. And we want to make sure that the maps that we draw give them an opportunity to feel represented. And then when we were up in Heber, uh, the dynamic was a little bit different uh, because, um, you know, one, we have a larger population along the Wasatch back. Uh, and so we had folks from Park City and, and folks from Heber and, and Wasatch and Summit Counties all trying to help us understand their perspectives about their community and what makes their community unique and how we can best represent their community through the districting process to make sure they're able to have their voices heard. And uh, we had some terrific comments of people you know, helping us understand some of the pitfalls of the previous maps, uh, dividing up neighborhoods uh, in, you know, in, in at least three ways in, in some cases, and how they you know, were you know, not satisfied that they were being able to be heard by being carved up that way. And so the challenge that we now have is taking that you know, input and trying to craft it into a map that, that makes sense, meets our population you know, criteria, and then pays attention to all the other criteria that we have, our communities of interest, our you know, 
our cities and counties and, and all of those kinds of things. So that that's you've said so much in that. So let's start with Monticello um, because I, I also was there and I really enjoyed how practical the conversation was. Um, and, you know, it was all about what is feasible. So Monticello, San Juan County is actually losing population. I mean, it's actually pretty steady, but in a state that has the highest growth rate, 18% in this last census. So tell us what that means for people who aren't as familiar with redistricting. When you're in a county that is either staying the same or not growing in a state that is growing, like what, what does that mean for redistricting on a practical level? Sure. On, on a practical level, what happens is in, in Utah, let's talk about the congressional districts because that's the easiest with only four, mm-hmm. right? Um, we have those four representatives and each of the districts has to have an equal population. Well, if we have part of the state that's growing really rapidly, then it's going to shift the population towards those rapidly growing areas and it, and away from those slower you know, growing areas. Now, when we move to the House districts and we have 75 of those, that same pattern is, is happening where we're essentially having to move additional representatives over, you know, for example, to the southwestern you know, corner of the state with St. George and Washington County. And that then results in the folks in the southeastern portion of, of the state who you know, haven't been growing. You know, if they've grown yet some, it hasn't been very rapidly. And so they then don't have as many people that end up being represented because we have to have in the House districts about 43,000 people in each one of the districts. And if proportionally uh, southwestern Utah has more people, that means the representation ends up shifting that way. And that's part of the reasons that, that the maps that we'll have this year while they may have some you know, semblance, they're going to be very different from the maps that we've had in previous years because the patterns of growth have changed uh, over the last 10 years. Yeah, that's a that's a great explanation. And there's a lot of criteria that the independent commission follows and balances in making their decisions about maps. But regardless if it's an independent commission, the legislative committee um, across the nation, everyone has to balance population, the the doctrine of one person, one vote. And so you have to start there sort of no matter what. And that was an interesting part of the public hearing is that there was a discussion of, hey, could every county have a Senate seat? And it and unfortunately, it's just a non-starter legally. And so then you got to that very practical question of what other counties do you want to be with? Counties to the north of you or counties to you know, the West of you. And that's what I appreciated about the process is it was so practical in it and um, very explicit about, well, what is really happening when you're drawing maps? Yeah. And I was very grateful for my colleagues on the commission asking some of those questions of the public that pushed at some of those issues to help us grapple with that in, in a more explicit way, because otherwise we're left guessing. And even though we have folks like uh, Commissioner Bishop who have been across the state and Commissioner Hale, who spent a fair amount of time going around the state as well, we still don't know all of the details of individual communities. And so the more public input we can get, the better off we are in understanding those communities and trying to help their voices be heard in this process. Excellent. So let's move up back up to up north to the meeting in Heber City. Um, Heber City in Wasatch County, one of the fastest growing counties in the state. So a real difference from the conversation in Monticello. So tell us about some of the criteria that the independent redistrict follows that come into play when you look at Wasatch and Summit Counties. So within Wasatch and Summit Counties, one of the criteria that comes into play very quickly are, are communities of interest. 
And communities of interest are, are interesting for a whole host of reasons, not the least of which is that they, they, their definition may vary from person to person. Now, in general, when we think about a community of interest, we're thinking about a social community, an economic community, uh, maybe a cultural community. Uh, and, and so how somebody's going to define those is going to d- depend. Some people are going to define it by their neighborhood schools. Some people are going to define it by we, where we go shopping and, and do all of our you know, community gatherings. Some of them are going to define it simply by their city. And so we've got to pay attention to those. And in a place like you know, Wasatch and Summit County where you've got these communities that are growing very rapidly, all of a sudden you have new inflow, and that reshapes and redefines some of those communities of interest. And, and, and we can't just guess at that. We've got to have the public's input to understand that and, and to get it right. The other thing that we don't, under, that we don't just inherently know, um, you know, when the governor you know, you know, called and asked me to do this, he didn't just give me an infusion of, of knowledge about the state. Uh, we've got to get that you know, infusion of knowledge from, from the people. And so we don't necessarily know where all of those communities are, how they've been treated before and how people would prefer to have them treated unless they tell us. And it was great to hear people tell us that at the meetings. Uh, after the meetings, we've gotten you know, some emails helping us you know, clarify, people commenting on our draft maps to help us see exactly what it was that they were talking about so that we can try and not do the same things that were done you know, before in terms of making people feel that their voice wasn't being heard. So one of the things I really appreciated about the public input, both in Monticello and Heber City, is that people were really down to earth, and I keep using the term practical, but it really was that, uh, in saying, hey, you know, we understand that sometimes you might have to draw a line in a community because of population requirements, but here's our elementary school map, and perhaps you can keep elementary schools together. So tell me how then... That was Saturday afternoon when you were back at work on Tuesday, and I know you're going to go draw maps right after we have this conversation. How do you start implementing that sort of feedback? So there, there are a couple of things. Literally, we got printouts from the staff yesterday that, that had some of those comments on it so that we could be seeing those as we're drawing our maps. We're also in the process of overlaying all of the community of interest maps, and that should be coming in in the next couple of days so that we can then start putting that on our software to start seeing where those communities coalesce to get a, a better idea of what those communities are so that we aren't you know, splitting them up. And so part of what we're doing is continuing to finish drawing maps, but part of it's going back to the maps that we've already drawn to see where did we get it right, where did we get it wrong, and can we you know, correct the, the things where we didn't match the, the public's perceptions. And if we can't, why can't we? So part of this is telling that story. If we you know, drew a line you know, one place, why did we make that decision? And and if you know, the public would have preferred that that line be you know, three streets over, why is it that we you know, couldn't do that? And so having that dialogue is only possible when we have that input from the public and we then start thinking about it and, and start you know, talking more clearly about what it is that we're trying to accomplish. And I think that's a really great example of why you can't just put some numbers in a computer and have the computer spit out maps. It's in the end a balancing act, a very human consideration of all these different criteria, especially that community of interest criteria. So if if you're a listener and you want to give some feedback on the maps as they are drafted right now, what are some tips? Like what is helpful to you as a commissioner um, when you're hearing from the public? Well, the first thing that's helpful is, is for people to go and actually look at the maps that we've already drawn, right? So go to our website, uirc.utah.gov, 
And right there on the on the very front landing page, you'll go down and you'll see draft maps. And you can click on congressional maps, Senate maps, uh, House maps, school board maps. And you can then pull those maps up and you can comment right on that map itself what your comment is, what it is that you think we've done well, what it is that you think we could do better, and give us some ideas. The other thing that you can do that is really helpful to us is you can draw your own maps. And so it's a little more time-consuming, especially if you you try the house maps. That may take you several days. Um, But a congressional map you can knock out in several hours, um, and you can then try your hand at, can I make work what's in my mind? And so that's very helpful for us to see those alternative visions that, that people have and have those concrete in the, in the digital map framework that we have. We can then pull those in. We can then you know, lay those on top of our map, see you know, what did we get you know, right, what did we get wrong. Or if you know, those maps, we look at them and we go, you know, we've got miracle you know, <laughs> music you know, playing in our heads. All of a sudden we can just go, gosh, that's the map that we want to run with. Yeah, that's really, that's really excellent. Um, just a question on map drawing. Are you getting maps from people? What's you know what's sort of your pulse on the level of engagement of Utahns across the state in this process? So what we've got a lot of so far are community of interest maps. We've got several hundred of those you know, come in, and we're really appreciative of, of those. The community of interest maps are where people try and identify what their neighborhood or their community is. And uh, one of the ways that I describe that to people is what are the areas that they don't want to see split up? And uh, we, so we've gotten lots of those. And uh, that's, again, we're, we're in the process of getting those, you know, some of them came in digitally and we can you know, run those through our you know, program pretty quickly. Some of them came in with people literally drawing them by hand and we've got to scan those in and then you know, map them on top of the software. And so we're in, in the process this week of, of hopefully having those you know, come live so that you know, not only can we see them, but we also can share those with the public so the public can see those as well. Uh, our, our goal is to be as transparent as we possibly can. That's an important value to us. And uh, so not only do we want to have the maps that we draw available online, but we want to, we want people to be able to see us in the decision-making process. And so they can go onto our YouTube channel. Uh, it may not be the most exciting you know, YouTube video they've ever watched, but they can watch our teams as we actually you know, make choices about, well, do we you know, go down to 3rd South or do we go down to 7th South? Or alternatively, do we go to the East here? Do we go to the West? You know, how can we make this you know, district balance and yet you know, still keep track of the community? Uh, yesterday, you know, we were working, you know, for example, in uh, Utah County, and, and we were able to pull up neighborhood maps uh, of Provo. And that was really helpful to us as we tried to figure out where do we draw the lines in Provo and, and can we keep those neighborhoods together? And one of the great things that you know, mapping and teams has done for us, it, at least for me, is it's helped me see things that I otherwise wouldn't have seen. Uh, we get uh, this you know, kind of narrow focus where we see a single solution, but our mapping partner often sees a different solution. And that's been very helpful to push us to think you know, more creatively about you know, how we can you know, draw these maps in, in, in reasonable ways. It's really impressive to see the hours and the time and now the level of knowledge among the commissioners on the criteria, on how the software is used. Um, it's like you have had a crash course and all passed with flying colors. So really, really interesting to watch and observe. 
So uh, a final question for you. You're leading a really challenging task. And in the end, the Independent Commission is responsible for recommending three maps for each of the four districts, Congress, State House, State Senate, and State School, School Board. And your hope, of course, is that the state lawmakers will see the reasoning and the logic behind your maps and adopt them. So just tell us, why are you dedicated um, to the people's maps as you're calling them? So I, I think that the easiest way to, to articulate that is that we want the people's voice to be heard. And we think the only way for us to do that is to represent them fairly. And as we draw these maps and then present them to the legislature, our hope, you know, obviously we, you know, we, we'd love to see the legislature choose, you know, one of each of our maps and, and just have no further discussion. But if nothing else, what we hope is that our maps push a discussion in a more productive way that allows the public to say, hey, our voice is being advocated for and our voice now has a place at the table where they may not have felt that before. And I think that's one of the important roles that the Independent Commission can play is making sure people's voices are being advocated more loudly. And I think that's what the map drawing and the public hearing process allows us to do is it allows us to engage and advocate for, for the people. Thank you so much. Um, and as a last thought, I, I drove to the meetings from my home in northern Utah all the way down south to Monticello. And then the next day I drove back up north um, to the Heber Valley. And of course, I was reminded of the absolute stunning beauty of our state and the diversity of the beauty in the landscape. And of really noticed in a different way with redistricting on my mind, the shifting landscapes we had, wind turbines, I saw a train car pulling coal, a decommissioned coal plant, and more wind turbines. And it just, uh, for me, was il illustrative of how quickly our state is changing and how each of our different locations and each corner of the state has a different stake in that future and needs representation and voice. So thank you, Commissioner Facer, for your time today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. It has really been a joy to be with you today. This was the second episode with uh, the Better Boundaries podcast. I'm Katie Wright, Executive Director, and I hope you tune in next time.